My dear friends, uh, when I reread this week's Torah portion, Vayeshev, Genesis 37 through 40, which is the script, by the way, for Broadway's Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, I paused at the part you all know when Joseph's brothers took him, threw him into a pit, and then they sat down and ate a meal. Sforno, the 15th, 16th century Italian rabbinic commentator, was struck by how Joseph's brothers could throw their youngest sibling into a pit, then sit nearby and enjoy a meal. This is the height of cruelty and insensitivity, the opposite of what Jewish tradition demands, to hear the agony and the cries of another person, your own brother, your own sister, carry on your life while he, she, and others suffer. This Thanksgiving Shabbat happens to coincide with the beginning of the cycle of stories about Joseph and his brothers. But the Sedra does not open with Joseph. It opens with Jacob. Listen to the opening verse. And Jacob was now settled in the land where his father had resided in the land of Canaan. After 20 years of fleeing from his brother Esau, Jacob comes home to the home of his youth. He returns. This wouldn't be the case for later Jews, of course, because whenever our ancestors were uprooted and expelled from native lands. We never returned. Of course, in most cases, we never wanted to. The world of 2021 is not the world of the Bible. 2021 is even a world away from the 1950s. Since most Jews alive in the 1950s did not live in the same country where their grandparents lived. Did you know that in just 35 years, if I'm doing my math right, between 1880 and 1915, the Jewish population in the United States grew from under 300,000 to over 3 million. Everyone in the sanctuary whose families arrived in the United States from other places carries the memory of other places in other times. But we're not going back to live in Poland. There's a great Jewish community there, but we're not going back to Poland, to Russia, Salonika, or Syria. Yet this week, Jacob finds that he can go home again. He makes it back to Canaan just in time to bury his father Isaac, and he lives out the rest of his days quietly in Hebron, the place where father Isaac and grandpa Abraham lived before him. On this Thanksgiving homecoming Shabbat, we can appreciate Jacob's sense of relief in knowing that he had finally come home, even if the next generation, his sons, will fight the same bitter conflict their father had with his brother Esau. Jacob is going to also suffer a long separation from his son Joseph that will only end in a reunion just before his death. And also like his dad, Isaac, Jacob will eventually be buried by children who in the end find at least a measure of peace with each other. But just this week for a brief moment in time, 
Jacob learns what hopefully most of us know, that there is something precious about coming home. And we feel that most on Thanksgiving, don't we? And that no matter where our families and ancestors wandered as Jews, it wasn't the temporary address that grounded us so much as it was one God to serve and a people to love wherever we lived. I think the cultural Jew and songwriter Billy Joel got it right in his song, Home, when he sings, home is just another word for you. Places like this sanctuary where we named Rebecca earlier in the service, where our children become B'nai Mitzvah, and where we're going to say Kaddish for relatives and friends before the service ends, are what makes this very sanctuary a home of sorts. Our portion opens with a deceptively simple verse Vayeshev and Jacob settled in the land, contrasted with Migurei Aviv, his father sojourning, listen closely, in the land of Canaan, it says, not the land of Israel. And the rabbis emphasize how Jacob saw himself as a permanent legal resident of Israel. The verb Vayeshev, and Jacob settled, is related to the Hebrew word for a permanent settlement, a yeshuv. And I see friends. We went to Israel just before the pandemic. We visited these permanent settlements. And that's in contrast with his father, Isaac, who saw himself as a sojourner. The word is ger. Someone whose residence is deemed temporal by himself and others. So why does this opening line in this week's Torah text about Jacob, revert to calling the place Canaan instead of the land of Israel or the land promised to Abraham and Sarah Haaretz. Now, as a reminder, the rabbinic commentators suggest that Jacob Israel is neither the first nor the only people who lived or will live in this land that many of you have visited. This week's Torah portion, like last week's awful rape, of Jacob's daughter, Dina, tells of injustice after injustice. So this week, it opens with a warning. Unless justice is upheld, even the land of Canaan, which became the land of Israel, can return to becoming Canaan, and we can revert easily to being strangers depending on the society we create. You could say the same thing about America. Democracy is fragile. Yes, we are part of an eternal covenant and an eternal people, no matter where Jews live. But when it comes to our residence in the land of our forefathers and foremothers, as the prophet Amos will thunder in the Haftorah accompanying this week's Torah portion, a people's tenure in any nation or land, whether Israel back then or America today is subject to good behavior. It's that simple. Otherwise, it's temporal. Change of address. What a fitting Torah portion for today since we're all alive at a time when there are clearly two safe homes for Jews to thrive in, America and Israel, fragile as both democracies are these days. 
This Torah portion almost always precedes Hanukkah and the hope of even a glimmer of light, no matter what the darkness. So I want to close or almost close with a story my Israeli mentor who made Aliyah from England arranged for me to meet and visit with his mentor in London on my way back to the United States when I served as a cantorial soloist outside of Tel Aviv with Mickey Boyden. His mentor from London was the great Rabbi Hugo Grin of the West London Synagogue north of Marble Arch. Rabbi Grin's brilliance kindness, humanity, were appreciated by everyone in Great Britain, including the Queen. This reform rabbi even had a national radio show with millions of listeners, and he once told the story from his childhood concentration camp experience in Germany about Hanukkah in the cold winter of 1944. By the way, that's only 77 years ago. Although we had nothing like candles, Rabbi Grin relates, my dad, who was my fellow prisoner, took me and some of our friends to a corner of the barrack. And my father announced that it was the eve of Hanukkah, and he produced a curious-shaped clay bowl, and he began to light a wick, immersed in his precious but now melting margarine ration as they were starving us to death. And before my father could recite the blessing, I protested at my father's waste of food. Dad, they're killing us. He looked at me, then at the candle he had made, and he finally said, my son, you and I have seen that it is possible to live up to three weeks without food. We once lived almost three days without water. But my son, you cannot live properly for three minutes without hope. What a statement. You cannot live properly for three minutes without hope. The Torah says that humans do not live on bread alone, but can live on anything that God decrees. What has the Creator given us that's more nourishing than food? I think Rabbi Grin's poignant Hanukkah story in a Nazi death camp provides the one-word answer, hope. Wherever we've lived, our people have been historically known as a people of eternal hope. Not luck or even optimism, but asirei tikva were known, prisoners of hope, eternal hope. And for good reason, because when you examine the miraculous survival and perseverance of Jews in Judaism. You can't help but believe in hope, and not just when times are good and when people are enjoying the good life. We became known as prisoners of hope when it was the darkest time. As a rabbi in the front lines of the pandemic for our congregation and on the task force for our city, I still find myself shuttling between people who are really doing pretty good, even great, while also taking in the private grief of those who are still suffering, whether mentally, financially, or emotionally. A minimum of 780,000 Americans have died from COVID. And there are almost as many in Shelby County alone who have died as the total number who died in all the 9-11 attacks. Think about that relative to how good most of us, including myself, have it. The winter holidays this year 
should be less of a complaint over Hanukkah and Christmas packages arriving late and more a time to remember and honor the sacrifice of worn out healthcare workers, frontline counselors, and organizations who are laboring to keep us all safe. 21 months after the lockdown that enabled most of us to hide and survive while others suffered and died should be a thanksgiving to remember and honor all those we have lost and all that has been lost to COVID-19. May this Thanksgiving Shabbat be at least one hour to honor the legacy of love and the beauty of lives which linger on, whether through the eye of memory or the promise of a new baby like Rebecca or a young adult like Ella. This is no time to get down. Life has enough challenge. Life has enough service. This is a time whenever we come home to temple, hopefully this is the place where we can say with hope in our eyes and eternity in our thoughts, Ani ma'amin, I still believe. Amen. I believe for every drop of rain that falls, a flower grows. I believe that somewhere in the darkest night, a candle glows. I believe for everyone who goes astray,